Uh, there's a place in Vancouver they call the Highway to Heaven. It's road number five uh, in Vancouver, uh, actually uh, in uh, Richmond is the little suburb. Uh, but along that road, there are about 10 buildings that represent world religions. Uh, there's a few Christian. Uh, there's probably the only place in the world where you'll have a Jewish synagogue about 100 yards from a Muslim mosque. It's the craziest thing in the world. Um, and where these folks are is in the southern part of Vancouver, uh, where there's a large Indian population from India. Uh, and those folks are ministering to them. And I know several people who know them. And so uh, next week, you'll see some folks from the good old US of A. But, uh, but North American mission is important. We want to plant churches all across uh, our United States and Canada, and so I want to encourage you to be praying for the missionaries and the church planters who are doing that uh, during this season as we lead towards Easter. Well, today, uh, we're going to continue our little series in Missing Greatness, and I'm already having problems with the microphone, so we'll just bear with that today. Uh, so if you got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, the first week, uh, we looked at Jesus being from the wrong place. He, he was in Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? Uh, not a whole lot except the Savior of the world. Uh, and then last week we looked at uh, his family. Uh, he was from the wrong, uh, a couple weeks ago, wrong family. Uh, and then, you know, he's a prophet without honor. And then today we're going to look at he had the wrong friends. Uh, and you might have the wrong kind of friends too. Maybe when you were growing up, you had the wrong kind of friends. Well, Jesus uh, gets in big trouble because he had the wrong kind of friends. At least he gets in trouble with a certain group of people because he didn't have the right kind of friends. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 2. Uh, there's parallel passages to this, uh, both in Matthew and Luke. But we're going to look at the Mark passage today. It says this, Mark chapter 2. Verses 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, that's Jesus, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, we're pretty sure that's Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. And his disciples, for there were many who followed him, and the scribes, the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As Jesus carried out his earthly ministry, there are a number of ways in which the scripture talks about his teaching, his proclamation, his preaching. In the book of Mark, it actually has all three of these uh, mentioned throughout the book. He heralds the good news, he teaches people, he speaks the word. Everywhere Jesus went, he was proclaiming uh, the good news 
of following him. The good news that the kingdom was at hand and repentance uh, leads to salvation. And so here he is walking alongside, he's actually teaching first, maybe he's even standing in a boat. Uh, I would love to be able to kind of do that, you know, stand in a small boat, not tump over. That, that'd be a great trick. Um, he could do it because, uh, of course, he's God. Uh, he can do anything. So he, <coughs> here he is teaching, maybe in this, this boat on the shore. He gets out and, and then he walks by this toll booth. L- literally the tax office. That, that's where he went. You ever been to the tax office? Yeah. You used to go every year because you had to at least renew your registration for your car. Now you can do it all online and you don't have to drive down to Galveston. But the tax office is not a fun place because what happens every time you go there? You have to pay money, right? They never give you money. They only take your money. And so Jesus is walking by this toll gate, literally this toll booth office, that, that Levi oversaw. And he says, follow me. And immediately Levi gets up and leaves his post, which is a crazy miracle in itself, because he just walked away from lots and lots and lots of money. Just walked away from it. But, but what's even stranger about that scene is not so much that Levi walked away from his toll booth and a profitable business is that Jesus even went to him in the first place. Because tax collectors were the most hated people in all of Israel. No one liked tax collectors. Because what Levi had to do, he actually had to purchase the rights to be the tax collector from the government. And so his job, his goal in life was to recoup all that money he had to pay, and then a whole lot more because tax collectors were known for being greedy. And he could charge whatever he wanted so that he could recoup that money as fast as he could. They were considered traitors. Traitors. Nobody wants to do a business with a traitor. They would extort people They couldn't even be a witness in the court of law because nobody thought they were honest. They were untrustworthy. If a tax collector touched your house, your house was unclean. That's how bad it was. I mean, that's how hated. We, we, you know, we don't like paying our taxes. We, We don't like, Paying that 74, 75 every year so that you can drive your car around without getting a ticket. But we're probably not going to refuse our tax collector presence in our house. If you were poor, if you were a person who was poor and had to beg, You were told not to receive alms from a tax collector. That's how bad it was. So so let me, I I want you to understand the scene here that, that Jesus teaching this large crowd 
comes off the, the boat or the shore and walks by this tax booth and he speaks of the one person that every person in that culture unanimously agreed on. Now that's a miracle, right? We, we understand that today to have everyone agree to not like somebody. That takes a lot. And Jesus said, follow me. A man who couldn't go into the synagogue, who couldn't go into the temple, follow me. A man who was always considered unclean, an extortionist, a traitor, dishonest. And yet Jesus said, come, follow me. Let me encourage you today, whether you're here in person or online, that no matter how bad and horrible you might think of yourself or how bad or horrible other people think you are, Jesus wants a relationship with you. End of story. He wants a relationship with you and he will seek you out. He will come after you in a healthy, positive way not to get his tax money back. He said, follow me. And there was something about Jesus. We don't know what it was. We don't see that in the white space of our scriptures. There was something amazing about this Jesus when he went to Levi and said, follow me. Now we also know Levi is Matthew. And he got up and followed Jesus and then had him for a dinner party. A dinner party. For Jesus and his disciples. I don't know if you've read the book of Mark a lot, but this word disciple here is a key word in the, in the book of Mark. It, it's mentioned, this is the first time it's mentioned, there are 45 or 50 times it's mentioned throughout the rest of the book. Disciple, follower, but more importantly, a minister. And so let me pause here for just a moment and remind you that Jesus wants us to become ministers, not just learners. Because that's his goal for his disciples in the first century. He has the same goal for his disciples in the 21st century. That we would be ministers and not just learners. In our modern culture, in the North American church, we're pretty good at learning. We go to Bible studies all the time. We, we study the Bible. We've, we've all probably got two or three or four Bibles or maybe 10. We, we, we are good at learning. But Jesus wants us to be ministers. And he demonstrates that in this scene, in this dinner party. Because the party is actually the focal point of this conversion story. It's the, it's the focal point of this dramatic event that happens in the life of Levi. A dinner party. Because they weren't just having dinner. They, they weren't just eating. No, they were reclining. The word was having dinner literally means to recline. They were reclining. 
And so in Jewish culture, most times, if you just had a regular old meal, you would sit at a table kind of like what we sit at. But if it was a, a formal occasion or a, an occasion of, of intimacy and close-natured friends or close family, you would actually recline at a table. It was a lower table. And so you'd actually recline at it, come with your feet out. I won't want to lay down on the ground for you, but I might not get back up. But, but there was this idea of intimate friendship. He, he, he was engaged with Levi and Levi's companions and friends and even some of his own disciples who were there. And so I wonder if we're not just about, supposed to be learners and we're supposed to be ministers as a disciple of Jesus, who do you allow to recline at your table? Who are the people that you're ministering to? Who, who are the people that you're engaged with to come and invest in their life and to recline with them in the, the joys and the pains of life? That's what Jesus was doing here. This picture of, of intimate friendship is critical. And let me remind you that many of these people were not the church-going people of this region. Because what, does the Pharisee, what do the Pharisees call them? The Pharisees call them an actual, a, a technical term, and that technical term is sinner. That's a technical term. A sinner. Why does Jesus recline at the table with these sinners. Now, in the scripture, it says that they saw that he was with these people. I, most scholars don't believe the Pharisees got invited to this dinner party. So they were either kind of from the outside looking in or word had traveled fast that Jesus was hanging out with all these sinners and most of us, when we think of the word sinner, we have some kind of image in mind. And usually it's not a good one. We, we might go to the Ten Commandments, you know, a thief or a, a murderer, someone, you know, who, who lies all the time. But, but that's not the case here, necessarily. A, a sinner in the ancient culture was simply someone who didn't keep the law perfectly. So, I'll give you an example. A sinner could be someone who didn't wash their hands properly before they sat down at the table. That's a sinner. Most of your kids wouldn't make the cut. Some of you wouldn't make the cut. Some of these sinners were people who had to work so much that they actually couldn't obey the laws because they had to work in order to provide for their family. And so they couldn't keep the law perfectly because they had to work so much. And so as, as you and I think about this, these Pharisees, these scribes, the Pharisees, which are actually two different groups. There's the Pharisees and there's the scribes, the Pharisees. Pharisees were a volunteer group of guys. 
that just wanted to make sure the law was right. They had good intentions, but they carried them out very poorly. Is that true of us sometimes? We get a little overchurched. And so we become judgmental rather than gracious. And these volunteers to help maintain the purity of, of their religion had gotten a little too overzealous and they missed the trees for the forest. They couldn't see the people who were in the greatest need to show them love. No, what they wanted to do was they wanted to separate themselves from the world. They wanted to separate themselves from the sinners so that they would remain clean, so they wouldn't be ceremonially unclean. So they separated themselves. And Jesus teaches us just the opposite. Go, go. And so church family, I wanna encourage you, be careful. Be careful not to separate yourself too much from the sinners of the world. <laughs> because it's not an us versus them. We're all sinners. We're all people who are frail, who are broken. But by the power of Jesus, we have the answer for salvation. And so let's take that answer, let's take that hope, let's take that unconditional love to the people who need it the most. Be careful not to say, oh, look at those sinners. Why does he recline with them? The crazy part of this story to me is, is actually Jesus' connection to these sinners. Because it's very different sometimes than my connection to people who are outside the faith. And it might be different than yours. And so it raised this question in my own mind. Was Jesus' association with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with the reprobates of society, with the sinners of the world, was it predicated, was it dependent upon them turning from their wicked ways and following him to become a godly person? Was his relationship with them dependent on life change? Was his relationship with them dependent on them turning from their sin and following him? The answer is no. No. He didn't see these sinners as a project. He didn't see them as, oh, someone who needs me, so I better go rescue them. No, he just loved them unconditionally. And that's the scandal of the story. The scandal of the story is that Jesus didn't make moral repentance a prerequisite for his love and acceptance. He loves unconditionally Despite performance, despite attitude, despite decision-making, he loves unconditionally. And so can we follow the model of our Savior and love others unconditionally? He accepts those tax collectors and those sinners exactly how they are. He accepts them as they are. 
Now, does he also say, come follow me? You bet he does. Follow me. But he loves them unconditionally, without condition. Because as far as we know, in this story, this account of his life, only Levi repents. As far as we know, Levi is the only one who decides to follow him out of the whole party. Now, his, some of his other disciples were there, probably more than the five that have already been called, probably some others who had listened to his teaching. But as best we can tell, it's only Levi who comes out of the dinner party as a disciple, as a follower, as someone who re- receives Christ by faith. Sometimes I don't want to get that close to people who are so different from me. I don't want to humble myself before them. I don't want to get into an argument with them. Because that's what might happen if we had dinner together. But I want to be a minister, not just a learner. And so I'm going to love unconditionally. I'm going to give grace when retaliation is due. I'm going to remain silent when I know I have the better argument. I'm going to hold my tongue when they tell me some crazy story about their life. I'm not going to say, well, I would have told you that was wrong. You should have seen that coming. And none of this I told you so kind of stuff. No, simply loving them unconditionally and saying, you know what? I know someone who has a better way, the best way. And his name is Jesus. Let me introduce you to him. Let me show you his love and his power and his forgiveness. Let me love you so that you may see the person of Jesus through me. Jesus offered them a relationship that was close and intimate. And the overchurched, the Pharisees, could only see the rules being broken. Let us be careful not to only see the rules being broken. I'm pretty good at rule following. Let us be careful not to be like those who stood on the outside and said, what in the world is he doing? Why would he ever engage with them? How is he going to stay clean if he has dinner with those guys? He, he won't be able to go to the synagogue. And we've heard him teach. He's pretty good. We don't like him, but he's pretty good. That's all they could see is the rules. And Jesus answers their question, why does he do this? Why is he with these people? Because those who are well have no need of a physician. There's a little irony there. 
But those who are sick, at least those that know they're sick, go to a physician, they go to a doctor. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I've never been to a doctor's office and I don't go often, trust me. That's like, that was actually really funny. Uh, those of you that know my affinity for needles. I don't go to the doctor, but I know that healthy people never go to the doctor. Like if you're healthy, you don't want to go to the doctor. Why? Because doctor's offices are full of sick people and you might get sick just going there. And they might give you a shot for no good reason. So I have no desire to be there. <laughs> but we go to the doctor when we have an issue, when we have trouble, when we are sick, when we have an ailment. That's why we go to the doctor. And that's why the great physician has come to us. Because sin has made us all sick for eternity. It's caused us separation from our heavenly father. And Jesus came so that not just those that follow the rules, so that not just those who are trying to do it right would have a relationship with him. No, that all who are sick, all who have sinned, and that's everyone, would receive healing Healing for eternity through relationship with him. Jesus came so that we might be healed. And now God sends us, those who have been made whole, he sends us to those who are in need. And he sends us to those who are in need the most. So church family, I want to challenge you to go to those who need him the most. And what the Pharisees didn't realize is they were the ones who needed him the most. And they missed it. They couldn't see it. They missed his greatness because they thought they were well. They thought they had it together. They thought they were doing the right thing. They had followed all the rules. They had done what society had said was the right way to live, and they missed it. And so go to those who need it most. Don't be like the Pharisees who withdrew. No, be like Jesus who got right in the middle of it because their need was so great. Let's go to the world. Let's go to our neighbor. Let's go to our family member. Let's go to our coworker. Let's go to the person who's standing on the side of the street. Let's go to the convenience store clerk. Let's go to our hairstylist. What if your hairstylist, who you knew didn't know Jesus, what would he or she do if you invited them to dinner? You'd probably freak them out. One, that would be the first thing. But then you never know what might happen. 
If you don't want them to come to the house, now that everything's gonna be open in a few days, take them to lunch in a neutral place. But I wonder, who are we allowing into our lives that God could do something amazing in their life? Who are you inviting to dinner? Let's pray together.